Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello and welcome back to Simply Serie A, the Italian football podcast brought to you by Sofa Sports Media and the FNX Network. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simu, and once again, we've got plenty to discuss, including that incredible Derby della Madonnina, Juventus's first defeat of the season, and much more coming your way in the next half an hour to 40 minutes or so. And of course, I'm joined by my two regular panellists this week. Welcome back to Simply Serie A, Vittorio Campanile. How are you doing, my friend? I'm great, thanks. Good, good. Glad to hear it. And of course, Tommy Milanese from 90 Minute. How are you, my friend? Living the dream, man. How are you? <laughs> Living the dream. <laughs> I like that one. Yeah, I'm good, mate. Not too bad. Not too bad. Surviving. Surviving. And of course, there's only one place to start this week, isn't it? The Derby della Madonnina Milan 2 into 3. Spalletti side leapfrogged Milan after a victory in the 170th Derby between the clubs. Not sure many people saw that coming, apart from our very own Vittorio, of course, who, who did predict it on the last show. I've got to say, Vittorio... Uh, did you mean it or was you as surprised as us to see Inter go there and, and and obviously turn Milan over? No, because especially in Italy, the derbies, usually the team who arrives in the worst condition wins. And uh, this happened especially in the Rome derby and in the Milan derby because the atmosphere, the it's so big. It reminds me a little bit of the Riva Boca Junior uh, rivalry. So, you know, Inter came in such a tough situation that they give 100% everything they had. On the other side, probably Milan was so convinced they could win that they didn't play at the maximum. And this is why Inter won at the end. Interesting stuff. Interesting stuff. And Tommy, you know, that's an interesting point, isn't it? That teams in Italy, in the derbies, they tend to, to get up for it. And often we see the sides that are probably the underdogs go out and win that. Um, what did you make of the derby overall? Well, it was a very good game to watch and I was very happy about it because it happened in the past few years so sometimes a derby can end maybe nil-nil or even like one-nil because maybe sometimes these teams maybe they feel a bit too much pressure from media, fans, whoever it can be and maybe they'd be scared to attack or whatever but that was not the case because we saw a goal after a couple of minutes and then the whole game was amazing especially the second half and um, yeah, I would say I would say the, the real person to praise for this victory, in my opinion, is Luciano Spalletti, which we've been quite talking quite badly about him, uh, both <laughs> me, myself and, and Adam as well in the last episode. Uh, and I mean, I, I, I still stand by my words, but in this case, I think he did a very, very good job. And I mean, I'm going to be very quick on, on, on tactics and stuff, but I really love the way he 
his team down. So with the three midfielders, it was Brozovic, of course, the Mediano that was there. But then the two Mezzali, that's how we call it, Gagliardini and Vecino, there was one that was a bit more defensive, but Vecino a bit more offensive. So they could switch easily from a 4-2-3-1 with Vecino as a CAM and also go back to a 4-3-3 in defense. So that in the end worked out very, very well because Vecino was uh, the, the goal scorer for the first goal and, and I think he played an incredible game for the for you know the, the whole game he played was amazing yeah i totally agree and and you know vittorio it is true we have been sort of slating luciano spalletti on recent shows is that enough to turn the opinion of him though i i still think he's he's kind of a dead man walking i don't know what you think about that uh, well, uh, this is a very important step for him. You know, winning the derby, it's very, very important. But it's more important for Spalletti that Inter reach the Champions League spot. And if Inter arrive at the end of the year in front of Milan and third in the Champions League spot, then I think his job is safe. So he he still have to do a lot because the gap is not that big. And uh, uh, Inter has a lot of Tough match. I don't know if we're going to talk about the fixture, but of the team competing for the Champions League spot, Inter is the one that has the worst fixture. So Spalletti still have to uh, do a good job. And, you know, we, we, we criticize him in the past because he made wrong decision. And finally in Derby, he show up and did everything perfect. But the road is still long. You know, next week, next weekend after the break, there is Inter Lazio, a very important match for both teams. So, you know, Spalletti has still a long road, but if he arrived third, especially in front of Milan, then his job should be safe. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it, you you mentioned the race for the top four there and Roma, obviously, they're six points behind Inter now um, and Roma are down in fifth. But, you know, it, it's not an impossible gap to turn around. And, you know, so you're totally right in saying that Inter have a long way to go. Let's not forget as well that they were, of course, without Icardi. They were without Rajanayan Galan without Miranda, without João Mario. And plus, they'd just been dumped out of the Europa League by Eintracht Frankfurt. So confidence, you would have thought, would have been really low. But Tommy, the performance didn't show that, did it? Yeah, that's the magic of the derby. Like, well, this is exactly what Vittorio said in the last episode. In a derby, anything can happen. And uh, literally anything. Like, there's no logic behind it. And to be fair, I'm quite surprised myself. I thought that even though... Again, in the derby, everything can happen. I still thought that Milan was going to win this. But again, Spalletti did a good job to bring the team down. Uh, Gattuso, I think he was more... I don't know. I think I think he, he, he thought he was going to win it. And he kind of underestimated Inter, playing on the wings and stuff. And it, it just turned out a great game. And yeah, Spalletti definitely got a lot of points from the fans, definitely. But uh, I'm, I'm not sure myself if it's enough for him to, to keep the job, even if he finishes in top four. Okay, interesting. And looking at it from a Milan point of view now as well, because it's only fair that we do that. Did this game, uh, Vittorio, prove your point last week that if you stop Piontek, you stop Milan? I think it did. And, uh, you know, Piontek, Piontek has been great this season, even with Genoa. But Milan has a lot of talented players. And this is a lack of Gattuso. I blame Gattuso. He has so many good players and still Milan doesn't play great football. And he was surprised to see Inter playing like that. Tommy said it uh, exactly. The Vecino position created a lot of problems to, to, to AC Milan. And Gattuso wasn't able, as normally managers do, to, to change a little bit the team and, and solve the problem. 
So, you know, I blame Gattuso a lot for this defeat. Uh, Inter played really well, uh, but I thought Milan could have won it, but Gattuso made mistakes. Uh, so, yeah, I, I think... It, 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 I said it already. I don't like Gattuso as a manager. He's very good in motivating the team, but not that much in organizing the team, etc. Uh, one example, Suzo, for me, played really, really bad, and he, he didn't get subbed uh, on Sunday. So... Uh, and he could change a lot of things around. Uh, the midfield of, of Milan wasn't great. You have Bigley on the bench, put him in, you know, and try to play, um, have a more better ball possession that Milan had on the derby. So a lot of little mistakes that in the end cost you the match. And I, I really blame Gattuso on that. Didn't Bilia score a wonderful free kick the week before as well? He did, yeah. He did. So it's interesting that, that he, he left him out. But... For me, I think you're spot on. I think the whole Gattuso thing, he's one of those guys, isn't he? And if I was to think about managers to compare him to in the Premier League for our, for the purpose of our listeners, you'd probably say he's a bit like a Harry Redknapp in the sense that he gets everyone going. Everybody likes him. Everybody wants to play for him and, and enjoys playing for him and he's motivated under him. But in terms of tactical knowledge, maybe he's a bit lacking. Maybe he's a bit behind uh, others. And, and credit to Spalletti. He's a manager who, not just from us, has received criticism from all angles, hasn't he, uh, for most of this season. And he, he pulled it out of the bag at the weekend. But Tommy, this game was an excellent advert, wasn't it, for Serie A to, to, the, uh, to the viewers abroad? Because, you know, I was... It was Sunday night. Uh, I was supposed to meet up with a friend of mine. He invited me around his house and I said, look, I'm only going to come if you're going to stick the derby on. <laughs> and uh, he was a bit like, oh, you know, it's Italian football. It's boring. I don't want to watch that. And I made him watch it and he absolutely loved it. Now, if ever there was an advert for Serie A, this was it, wasn't it? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, when I came on Monday morning to my office, uh, most people here in Nantimena are, are British and follow basically just the Premier League. But I heard a lot of people that came to me and said, wow, that was actually a great game. Uh, because I remember that funny thing that last year when it was the Milan derby, I remember telling to everyone, like, guys, go go watch it. It's going to be a great one. It's gonna be, you're going to have fun. And then he ends up nil-nil with an incredible chance uh, missed by card in the last seconds. So then everyone was like, oh, typical Italian football, defensive, <laughs> like, you know, whatever. Forget it. <laughs> Go back to Premier League. But actually, this time, I didn't say anything, but everyone came to me and they said they enjoyed it. And we, yeah, we talked a bit about it, which is something that has really happened here. And I guess in a lot of places here in London and UK. Absolutely. Absolutely. It was a great game. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And so did my friend in the end. Uh, so okay. <laughs> good on All right. I was going to ask you, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Let, let's move on uh, to Juventus, who suffered a 2-0 defeat at the hands of Genoa. Goals from Pandev and their former player, Sturaro. Uh, Juventus hadn't lost the game in the league since April the 22nd, when Napoli were their conquerors. Um was this kind of expected to happen at some point, guys, given their Champions League commitments, given that Ronaldo, Chiellini, Matuidi were rested and there was numerous other players out injured? Vittorio, in your eyes, were Juventus always going to... Sorry, was Juventus's unbeaten run always going to come to an end at some point between now and the end of the season? Well, eventually, but I'm, I'm a little bit disappointed to see the starting eleven of Juventus now... Uh, we said that the Scudetto discussion is over, but still, uh, there are important matches that Juventus can really uh, make a difference, especially in the Champions League spot. Juventus has to play with all the teams except Lazio, if I'm not wrong. So if Juventus start playing with a, 
uh, B team, let's call it like that, against AC Milan or Inter, uh, they're going to lose and this is going to help those teams. So uh, against Genoa, there was nothing at stake, so I can understand it. But yeah, the problem of a team already winning the Scudetto in March is that uh, then the rest of the season, they're probably going to play the B team. The other point that we have to make is, I hope this match proved everybody that Rugani is not a top defender. Hmm. Uh, it's not the first time. This is, I think, at least the third or fourth match that he performed badly. And uh, I know there are a lot of people saying Rugani is a very promising defender. Well, guys, maybe he is, but not Juventus level. And I hope this match proved it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And Tommy, you know, VAR came into this one, didn't it? Um they were really busy, the VAR. They, they ruled out a penalty for Genoa and then a goal for Juventus. In your opinion, were they correct calls? Well, I think every game now basically is full of VAR episodes. I mean, uh, I don't... <laughs> I think, to, to be fair, I agree with both of the decisions. Uh, I, did, I didn't in, uh, in real time for like uh, the Zibara goal, for example, but then watching back. And again, I'm, I've always said in this podcast and everywhere that I'm a big fan of VAR. And I'm glad it's there because in, in another without without it, Juve would have gone one year up with the Dybala goal, and then maybe Genoa would have never covered. So I mean, yeah, again, I agree with the referee, with the with the assistant referee, video assistant referee, and yeah, I'm glad it's there. Yeah, me too, me too. I'm glad it's there as well, Vittorio. If you look at this season as a whole. Uh, Genoa have now become one of three sides to have taken points off Juve this season. Now, when people look at Serie A from the outside, the first thing they say is that Juventus are too dominant and it's become boring. It's become a monopoly and and so it's pointless to watch. But when results like this happen, and, and regardless of the side that Allegri picked, it does kind of make everybody take notice again, doesn't it? It does make people turn their heads and say, actually, Juventus are not indestructible. Yes, they're not indestructible. I, I think the biggest difference is that Allegri can pick like 17, 80 players of very high level, while Napoli Inter has 12, maybe 13 players of that level. So that's the biggest difference. But let us not forget that last year, uh, they have been uh, a tougher league for Juventus. Uh, you were saying that Napoli beat them away so at home. So um, today... Th- the gap is bigger, especially because Juventus, let's not forget, Juventus invested heavily this year, this summer, to win the Champions League. They paid Ronaldo a lot of money. And now, for the first time, the financial year of Juventus is negative. So they make a big step. They took a huge risk. And obviously now the gap between Juventus and the other Italian team is huge. But what Juventus is trying to do is winning the Champions League. So that's why they invested that badly. And if they don't reach it, then, you know, this summer, there's going to be question marks. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And Tommy, I was reading about this game today. So obviously, I've seen the highlights of it. I didn't watch the full game. I've seen the highlights of it. And I read that the celebrations in the stadium were so wild that the glass <laughs> between the crowd and the pitch was broken. Is that true? Well, <laughs> well we, we know that Italian fans can be can be very passionate. Uh, and to be fair, I mean, general that they're, they're you know I'm a Sampdoria fan as you know, so they're kind of my rivals. But I got I've got to give it to them when they do turn up, <laughs> they 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 very, very good fans like most teams in Italy. And I did read something else though that made me quite laugh. I heard that 
the stadium was sold out, obviously. And then when a lot of Genoa fans uh, realized that Ronaldo wasn't playing and wasn't even on the bench, then they complained and they kind of wanted their money back. Wow. Which is quite quite funny. But I mean, obviously, <laughs> I'm not talking about the real Genoa fan. This is probably just you know those people that don't report football and they just want to see Ronaldo. So yeah, they, uh, uh, I know that the real Genoa fan they would have gone anyway. So. Yeah, they're the um, casual fans, isn't it? Every yeah, casual fans. Yeah, every club has them. Oh yeah, but also like, there's a lot of people that support Juventus and I mean now especially in this era Juventus because obviously they won the league a lot but maybe 10 years ago Inter, Milan or whatever in, uh, in other cities which is a bit annoying in my opinion I remember going to stadium sometimes for Sampdoria Juventus and when, when they score when Juventus score then you see people that are not in their way and celebrating even in front of you and it's you know, it's not it's not very nice, but whatever. You know, this time it didn't happen. They lost the score, so fair play for Genoa fans. Yeah, I, again though, I think that's a problem everywhere, isn't it? I mean, I've got friends that live next door to me in North London that support Manchester United, and you know, yeah, of course. It, there's lots of that, and and I think it is strange, isn't it? For me, I, I would have thought that growing up you'd want to support a team that you can go and watch regularly and I know that when you're a kid you can fall in love with a club based on players and based on their success but for me part of the football thing is going every week and enjoying it and watching my team so for me I find it hard to to get my head around that how someone hundreds of miles away can support a team from from all the way up there and and yeah so but it's about, it's about representing your city as well I think like I, I can really like know I know this because my dad, for example, is an AC Milan fan. Uh, I mean, he's not a massive football fan to be fair. He doesn't watch every game and stuff. He's a bit of a casual fan as well. But he does support AC Milan. So when I was a kid, like very very young, he bought me a Milan, AC Milan shirt with with Baggio, <laughs> which I still have. Um, and he he told me basically, you know, he, he was taking me to the games when Sampdoria or Genoa was playing Milan and stuff. But then when I, when I reached the age of, of consciousness, then me and my brother and I opened the newspaper and saw some daughters like, oh, that kid is amazing. And then we read about it, you know, from Genova. It's a, you know, it's this mix between these two teams from Genoa of the past. And we just got interested into it. And we asked, Dad, you know what? Can I can, can you take me to watch Sampdoria? <laughs> we like that. Sorry. <laughs> well, Sampdoria had some legends of their own, didn't they? So that that's yeah. that's completely understandable. Um, yeah, but when I started, I'm just gonna finish the story. When yeah, I started, we went in Serie B. We were in Serie B. It was 2003, 2004, and luckily we got promoted that year. And then, yeah, my first game was in 2004, 2005 against Regina. <laughs> oh, this is a bit of trivia. Lovely. At least, at least you're not a glory hunter. That's the main thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we have to talk about Suraro, I think. I mean, there, there have been this big discussion this winter of Juventus selling Suraro for 80 million euros. That didn't make sense because he got injured. He was never playing with Juventus. <laughs> and who scored the, the goal that allowed Gerard to, to win against Juventus? Obviously, Sturaro. So, you know, all the people discussing say, yeah, this, this is not... It's not possible. 80 million euros for a player that is at least average and, and then he score against Juventus and celebrate. I thought it was really funny. I don't know you, but it, it makes a lot of sense, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, football is funny sometimes. Fo- yeah, exactly. Football has a funny way of turning around and biting you on the arse sometimes, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> great to see, though, from a neutral perspective anyway, not from a Juventus perspective, of course. But let's talk about uh, Vittorio's uh, city rivals now. Let's talk about Roma. They were beaten at Spal and the Claudio Ranieri beginner's luck has disappeared already, hasn't it? Um, you know, they lost against a side that haven't won at home for six months. 
Um, Vittorio, am I being a little bit harsh on Ranieri? He did have a lot of players missing and, and some of them were half fit, weren't they? I think Ranieri uh, made a terrible mistake. If you check the starting eleven, he he you, we know he loves to play with a four four two, but you cannot put on the four four two Clivert and Esharawi wingers in the midfield because that changed your team in a four two four, and it was far too offensive. And Sonsi and Cristante was the only midfielder, and uh, they got hammered by um, by Spal that had that was playing with five midfielders. And in fact, if I'm not wrong, the ball possession in the first half was like 65% for Spal. So Spal in the first half dominated Roma because of this terrible decision of, of Ranieri. In fact, in the second half, both got sub, uh, Kleibert and Esharawi, and Roma started playing better. Not very good football, but the, the ball possession increased. Uh, so I think Ranieri has a lot to blame himself and maybe he will learn from this mistake. Spal, last time they won at home was the 27th of September. So this gives you a little bit the dimension of the incredible defeat of Roma. Uh, Roma is playing really bad. Um, you, were you were saying that the gap between Roma that is fifth and Milan that is fourth is not huge. The biggest concern for me is how Roma is playing. Uh, they lost the derby badly. They won against Empoli, but they didn't deserve. And they lost against... Uh, Spal and they played really badly and didn't create that many chances. Now we can say that probably the penalty that uh, gave the Spal to Spal the chance to win the match, I'm not sure it was a penalty, but that's another discussion. Spal played better and deserved to win. Um, Roma is not playing great football, even though they have a lot of uh, good players. Now we said that Ranieri is not a great coach. He's not a manager that comes in and changes the team. He's not a top-level manager. But I didn't expect him to see him making, making these terrible mistakes. And then, and then try to give Sheik another chance. Sheik was invisible Saturday. I don't think he touched the ball ever in, in 95 minutes. You know, he was awful. Uh, so uh, you can't rely only on Zeko. And uh, yeah, it, it's going to be really difficult for Roma if they keep playing like that. Yeah, I mean, Tommy, looking at that gap that, that we were talking about, had Roma picked up all three points a spell, they would now be one point behind Milan in fourth. And the race for the Champions League would have been very much on. Yes, you know, it's still retrievable. It's still only four points between them and Milan in fourth. But how badly was that? Of, sorry, how bad of a chance was that that they've missed? They must be hitting their heads against the wall. Yeah, absolutely. But I can't, I can't agree more with what Vittorio said. I think this is also what we were talk, touching on last week when, uh, um, when you asked us, like, what we thought about Ranieri, about the, about the job. And, yeah, he loves to play with 4-4-2, and that is not what Roma... Roma camp doesn't have the players to play 4-4-2 because they've been, uh, historically, like, in the past few years, buying wingers and, and playing with this 4-3-3 or 4-2-3-1 or whatever you, you call it. Um, yeah, just like Vittorio said, 4-4-2. If you have Clavier and Sharawi as a kind of you know, the, the midfielders on the sides, they have offensive, but also defensive duty, which they're not really used to do. Asher Awi, AC Milan used to play basically as a forward. And Sheik as well, and Jekyll, like they never really, I mean, Di Francesco tried a few times, but they never really played together like that. And Cristante is not really that kind of player that does that job for as, as, a, as a two of CM next uh, to Nzonzi. Uh, and yeah, you can really see this because as Vittorio said in the second half, then Zaniolo and Perotti came on. They changed the things around and that's where Roma really started playing because in the first half, 
were absolutely horrible. And and they have this incredible play with Zaniolo, but if you think about it, he doesn't really fit in the 4-4-2. And so I cannot expect Roma to not start Zaniolo in, you know, on the the form he is is such an incredible play for them now it's probably the, the best informed player at the moment so he's going to have to change things around if you want to right? you can't really take a job of a team that's not already doing that well and pretend like you need to do your, your game you have to kind of pick it up where it, where it was left and then if you want to change you have to do it slowly and yeah that, that's I don't think Rob, that's what Roman is now and even though it's not over in my opinion they'll never reach Champions League yeah, uh, exactly. You're right. It's not over, but yeah, the, the form is not good and things aren't really looking promising. Let's move on to a little bit of news now. Uh, let's talk about Mauro Icardi. And I know we've spoken about him lots in the last few weeks, but it is a story that is worth touching upon. It is a story that keeps popping up. It's a story that keeps rearing its ugly head. And there are reports today that he's set to return from exile and that he will begin training again uh, this Thursday. Uh, Vittorio, how do you think or expect his, his teammates to react to this? I mean, as professionals, they should just get on with it. But surely when something like this goes on, it's not easy to move past it, is it? No, it's not. And the funny thing is, if you took notice of the quotes of the players, Oli Politano, I think, said after the derby, "We, I hope to have Icardi back. All the others didn't talk about Icardi, uh, never mentioned it. And this tells you that the real problem is with the rest of the players. So, um, I don't know. They're going to be professional. And you have to see even uh, in which condition Icardi. It's a month that he's not training so you don't know really in which condition the player is and if he's available to play. But I think the key is if he's com- come in the locker room and talk with the players and said, sorry, I made a mistake, etc., and try to regroup. Because otherwise, this can only create problems to, to Inter to have Icardi back. But they need it because everybody was praising Lautaro for the derby. But uh, Icardi is, for me, uh, at another level uh, Lautaro can be the striker of the future, maybe in one year time, etc. But still, Icardi is the best option, and uh, so I think Inter has to be do the best to to solve the problem, even even if it's not easy. And in the same time, uh, there has been these rumors of an exchange: Dybala, mm-hmm. Icardi, Inter, Juventus. Um, this could make sense because Juventus maybe is looking for a striker uh, that it's already a top level striker like Icardi. Dybala is not playing very well in Juventus and he doesn't have a position because um, uh, Allegri is trying to play him like a trequartista while he's more uh, a striker. So he could fit in Inter playing uh, near Lautaro while Icardi could play striker instead of Mandzukic. So I don't know. I think it's going to be interesting in the next three months to see how Icardi recovers the situation in Inter and if these rumours start picking up more, then it looks like it, it can be something happening this summer. That's a really interesting story. That uh, Tommy, your thoughts on the whole Icardi thing. How do you see this playing out? Can Icardi recover? Can he win back the trust of his teammates and his manager and the club and, and have a future at Inter? Or is it a foregone conclusion that come the summer, Mauro Icardi's gone and Inter need to look for a replacement? I think I personally think he will leave, and I mean it looks it looks pretty obvious that this is the end for for him at Inter. Even though there's still his wife saying that we're still dealing with the club, there is still himself on Instagram posting pictures of 
you know, himself with the Inter uh, captain, you know, with the captain band and with the Inter shirt saying things like Milan is, you know, black and blue, whatever. Um, so he looks like he's kind of trying to give a signal that he doesn't want to go, but everything else says they will go. And if this uh, this uh, trade will actually happen, Dybala with Icardi would be massive. And I think the Inter fans like, will really, really, really hate him after this. Uh, but I, I agree with the Vittorio that would make sense. I think Dybala and Inter will shine, would definitely be the best player. You could play as a striker like you used to do at Palermo. Uh, and it, it could become a fan's favourite while Juventus is not. But, uh, but no, and I hate him, you know, to, to go for Inter. I think they would understand him. While Icardi going on a Juve would be very tough. At the moment, I don't think Icardi is going to start. Not only because he's not been training for a month, which is obviously... But even if he was fit, I think Lautaro is still on top of him because he... He earned it. Now the fans like him. He, you know, he's got he's got the momentum. You know that sometimes that that overtakes the the, the the skills gaps that there is between the two. So if I was if I was Paletti, I would I would probably still use Lautaro until the end of the season. Even though I agree with Vittori that he's not ready to be an Inter striker. Yeah. But for the sense that we are, I think he should start, and Icardi should just stay in the bench, keep talking, whatever, and then just find another team in the summer. Yep, interesting stuff. We'll keep a close eye on that one uh, and see how that develops. Now, I know we're jumping around a little bit, but let's go back to Roma for a minute. Um, Roma, uh, you know, upping the search now for a long-term manager, someone who's going to come in uh, in the summer to replace Claudio Ranieri. He's only been brought in on a short-term contract. And there's lots of reports flying around Italy today that the shortlist is down to Sari and Gasparini. Tommy, you know, what do you make of, of that? Is is Sari and Gasparini two people that you would have thought would have been on the list? Are they two people that can come there and be a success? And or or is it just paper talk? Well, it's probably just paper talk. I think it's a bit a bit early, but uh, it would be very interesting, in my opinion, to see Gasparini and Roma because uh, we saw this in the past. Like Gasparini is very very well with Genoa. They almost with the Champions League spot. They were playing incredible football, and then he went to Inter. I mean, if, if he went to Inter at the right, the wrong moment because it was after a triplete and everything. But he failed at Inter. They didn't play nearly as good as was making general play, and he kind of failed. Then he started again from a lower team like Atalanta. Now he's doing incredibly well. So if he goes to Roma, I don't know. He could fail again potentially but um, to be fair if I was Gasperini I don't know if I would accept the job to be fair because now Atalanta is not very far from Roma as a level if they were, if they will keep the players they have and invest a little bit Atalanta could really uh, over, overtake Roma and become even better so I think Gasperini is doing well there the fans like him they love him I think he, if I was him I would stay there keep building the project and who knows where they can get rather than going to Roma in a in a in the moment there's like a revolution because you know with Monkey left and then the manager and the atmosphere is not very good I think it wouldn't be good for him and for Sarri well it will be good for Sarri to go back to Italy for sure because I think he needs it after failing in Chelsea he shouldn't stay in the Prem I don't even know if there's any clubs that really want him after what's all what's going on if he came back to Italy I think he would do good so in my opinion for Roma Sarri would be better among the two and again Sarri loves to play with a 4-3-3. It's not this 4-4-2. So I think the, the players that Roma already have, they will fit more into what Sarri, you know, how Sarri plays. 
Vittorio, your thoughts on, on this proposed shortlist of Romas that includes Sari and Gasparini? Well, Gasparini is a genius for me, and he's proving it at, at Atlanta. The big problem, and I have friends that are working in the press in Bergamo, that Atalanta is having probably the best three years ever, and he's still able to fight with journalists, even in a season <laughs> like that. So imagine imagine him managing in Rome, where the press is 10 times bigger. Uh, the discussion, if you lose one match, you get hammered. Imagine how he will behave. And this is why he failed at Inter, because he's a genius. He really is. But he's not able to cope with the press, with the pressure. And, and it, Atalanta's season is unbelievable. And he doesn't speak with the press, with the local press, because once they wrote something wrong against him. Can you imagine in a big uh, town like Roma? No, it's not possible. So I, I think it's not the right solution for him. But he said, I think last week, that he would, he thinks he, he, he would, he's looking for a big team eventually. But the, the other thing is, uh, we have to see what happens with Roma this summer because if they don't reach the Champions League, they'll have to sell a lot of players. And so, you know, if Gasperini comes in, you have to see which type of players he, he's going to be available. There's a big chance that he will finish in the same situation he had with Inter, with all players that already have gone everything and a team that's at least average, nothing more. Sarri, um, well, we have to see if he goes there as well. And uh, the problem with Sarri is a little bit like Gasperini. Uh, great football, but he doesn't win. He showed it with Napoli. He had a great Napoli team. And he got out in the Champions League, out of the Europe League, out of the Coppa Italia. Yes, he didn't win the Scudetto because he was better. But he could have won all the other trophies. Well, not the Champions League, but Europe League and Coppa Italia for sure. And again, will he be able to cope with the pressure of Roma? I'm not sure. And... Tommy said correctly that 433 is the perfect solution for Sarri, but Sarri has to have his players. So we have to see if Roma would buy the players Sarri wants. So that's the question. Yeah, absolutely. It'll be interesting. Again, it's another story to keep your eye on, isn't it? Um, I, I'm not sure that Sarri will last uh, beyond the end of the season uh, if he lasts that long at Stamford Bridge here in London. So uh, he's of a name, of course, that will be banded about when, when sort of big jobs become available in Italy. Uh, it's the natural thing to, to assume and to think, isn't it? Um, Gasparini, as you guys say, I agree that he's a great manager. I'm not sure that he's ready, or I don't know if ready is the right word, but that he can handle the, the media spotlight, perhaps, that comes with managing a club like Roma or Inter, uh, as we've seen in the past. Now, the last thing that I want to touch on this week, and, and we've got a couple of listener questions as well, so I'll get to those in a minute. Um, but the first thing I want to do is talk about Sampdoria's proposed takeover. Now, this is supposedly in the final stages with Gianluca Viali set to return as the president. Uh, Tommy, you're a Sampdoria fan. Uh, yeah. What are your thoughts on this? I mean, apparently this company are prepared to invest almost 120 million euros into the club. Uh, how are you feeling about this? Are you excited? Are you a bit skeptical? Uh, it's a it's a very difficult topic, uh, in my opinion. I, I to be fair, I try to avoid every article that talks about it because it's such a it's such a complicated situation. Uh, Ferrer is talking a lot about it, almost like he's nervous. He always says. You know, stop talking about this. It's not happening. Everyone is talking about some dollar selling, but then where's the money? I haven't seen any. 
like if you really weren't worried about it, you wouldn't talk about it like that and as much as he's doing. So I think there is an, an option and it's real and he knows that he might lose uh, Sampdoria. And I think all this uh, media propaganda is doing is because he wants to put the price higher. At the end of the day, Ferrero, I like Ferrero. A lot of Sampdoria fans don't like him. I really like him. He's a businessman and he's shown that in the past. He was very passionate, you know, weird, funny, whatever you want to call him. But he's a great businessman. His goal was to make money with the team, and that's what he did. He picked up the, the, the team basically for free. I mean, they had a lot of debts, which he has to pay, but he didn't really pay anything to, to get the club. And he got, he got great, um, great stuff, that which we found a lot of young players. Which it wasn't really a thing before, which we developed, like Patrick Schick, for example, or you know, even Pride or Torreira. And we saw them for a much... For a, for a big prize, and that was something that we haven't seen in a while. Because for Sampdoria, we we always always struggle. Like we had we had Cardi, Mauro Cardi was us. It was in the youth. We bought it for the youth for Barcelona. Came to youth for Sampdoria, and we sold the Inter for nothing. Something like I don't remember now exactly, but something like a million plus half of this player, half of the youngster player, Bonazzoli, remember, and Gabiani. That's what that's what the deal was, which is unbelievable. Ferrero is much better of a businessman. He actually gets money and. It doesn't sell every player as well. Like Pride has been with us for a long time. Linetti is kind of building a, a project, but not quite. Like when the last moment when you need to keep that player, he always sell it. So he's doing a bit of both. So I'm quite happy with him, uh, considering where we came from. But at the same time, you know, we could do better. So now there's this uh, this talk about this American fund with Amer- uh, with Vialli as a, as a main guy. To, to, to buy some door and invest a lot of money. I don't know. It could, could, could be great. Could be potent, like they could really invest a lot of money even in buying players and keeping them and starting a project, but they could also not because spending 120 million, that's, that's great, but are they going to keep investing during the years or are they just going to sell and just make profit? I don't know. But I think it's, I think it's something real and I think something will happen. And again, based on how Ferrero's talking and he looks quite nervous about it, I think it would definitely happen. And to have Vialli as a main guy it would be it would be great for a lot of Sandora fans, you know, to, to see him talking. Instead of, Ferrero is a bit of a showman, is he? He goes on TV. I don't know if you, Harry, I don't know if you see him even from here in UK, but he goes on TV. He says a lot of random shit, like to get the main pages, you know. It's really a character. Like, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. Like while Vialli is going to be, I'm sure it's going to be like a you know, serious guy, a respected man in, in, the, in the industry. So in the end of the day, I think I think it would be it would be good. But it all comes down to this American fund, how actually good they will uh, in investing and keeping players and building a project. Yeah, I mean, Vittoria, what what do you make of it? Is is just putting Vialli in the front of it? Vialli as the the so-called president is that just? an attempt by this company to make it make the deal look sweeter than it is, make the fans believe, make the fans buy into it and not oppose the whole thing. That's the scary part because we saw in the last year a lot of uh, unknown company buying clubs. You know, the Palermo is the la- latest example. Uh, an English company bought Palermo and then they didn't have money. Uh, uh, we saw Venezia in the, pretty much the same situation and so on. So the fact that the owner, the, the, the company that wants to buy Sampdoria is still a mystery. This is a little bit of concern. The fact that they are using um, Vialli, that it's a well-known Sampdoria play, former player, 
uh, in a certain way can be scaring because if you have them when Roma bo- when uh, Palotta bought Roma they they announced themselves immediately you know we already knew who he was etc cetera, etc cetera. so why do they keep the mystery it's not something secret it's not something that you have to hide so this is the scary part um uh, as Tommy was saying uh, uh, Ferrero did some positive things, but I don't think he has the money to to invest heavily in the club and make them grow. So that's the problem with Sampdoria at the moment. <coughs> Sorry, but at the same time, uh, these owners love to be uh, owners of club because you know they can talk to the newspaper, uh, TVs. Uh, they get not only money, but they get to know a lot of people and they get popular, and it's something they like. So. It's not sure that he's going to sell the club if they're not going to give them a lot of money. And then if you're going to pay too much Sampdoria, then how much money do you really have to invest and improve the team? So, I don't know. We're going to see what happens. Uh, there's a lot of talking about that. Vialli often talked about, said, I cannot say nothing. I don't know nothing. So, you know, it's a little bit too secret for me. I don't like this type of things. Maybe we'll have to try and get Gianluca Vialli on the podcast and he can tell us exactly what's yeah. going on. That would be nice, wouldn't it? Um, yeah. Right, let's move on to a, a couple of listener questions that have come in. We've had a few this week, but due to time, we're, we're just going to go to a couple. The first one comes in from a regular listener of ours. He's been listening to every single show, so massive thanks to Nathan on Twitter. He asks, uh, with Inter's tougher schedule, who is now the favourite for third place? So, uh, starting with yourself, Tommy, who do you make the favourite to finish third at the moment? I think Milan is still the favourite. I think the, the the derby was just the same. Uh, they have a better schedule, Milan, if you see the games they are left. Um, and uh, again, all the problems that Inter have, they're still there. They won the derby. That's definitely going to uh, give a lot of positivity and momentum and stuff, but they still have those problems. So, I think in the long run, Milan will overtake uh, Vittoria, do you agree with that? I agree with Tommy. Um, Inter was in desperate mode in the derby and they won, but they cannot pretend to be in desperate mode every single week. And now with Icardi back, they are back in that situation. Uh, as I said before, you have to see how the team uh, embraced their former captain. Is he going to be captain again? We don't know. So, yeah, a lot of question marks with Inter. A lot of question marks even with Milan. What happened? Is it just a week that Piontek didn't sco- doesn't score is going to continue. Is Gattuso going to finally start finding the right solution for Milan? Roma is playing badly, but it's not far away. Lazio is probably the best team playing, but uh, has uh, too many points below. So, you know, I think at the moment Milan is favourite, but it's going to be interesting. Yep, it will be indeed. And this next question comes in from an Arsenal fan, actually. Uh, It came through my personal Twitter. This is from Mark. And he asks, uh, what can Arsenal expect from Napoli in the Europa League? Obviously, it was a draw that most Arsenal fans didn't want to see. Um, And I know, Vittorio, we're going to talk a little bit about it when you join me on the Chronicles of Aguna podcast. But uh, in terms of from Tommy now, what, what do you think Arsenal should expect from from Napoli, there's a lot of talk today, isn't there, that uh, Carlo Ancelotti thought he had the Arsenal job in the bag and he's a bit pissed off about that. So will he be looking for revenge and, and will he sort of turn Unai Emery's side over? Well, I, I think that both the teams were very disappointed when they saw the draw. They could have had much more luck, both of them. 
that, that could potentially be the winner of the whole competition out of this out of this tie. So it's going to be very interesting. Napoli is definitely going to go full squad. We talked uh, we talked in the other episode last week that Ancelotti really cares about European competition and why shouldn't because we all know that the league is over. So I think Napoli is going to go is going to go uh, with full squad. So will Arsenal because obviously Arsenal is still fighting for the top four. But in case they won't make it, then they can still access. Champions League uh, through the Europa League, which is absolutely vital for a club like Arsenal. Uh, so they will go; they will both go with full strength and a lot of motivation. So I think it's very hard to predict. I, if, I can't really, I can't really tell who's going to win. I think whoever wins is going to be very tight. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Vittorio, we'll we'll save your thoughts uh, for the Chronicles of Aguna, um, guys. That brings us to the end of this week's show. Another fantastic discussion. My thanks to you both. Vittorio, uh, do you want to let our listeners know how they can check out your new YouTube channel where you're putting out regular Italian football videos in English? So uh, let our listeners know how they can find it. Yeah, well, on YouTube, if you search Vittorio Campanile, you can find me there and every day a, a YouTube video on Serie A and Italian football, if you like. And uh, once again, we'll put the link in the bio this week so that you guys can find it in the description down below. Tommy, thank you very much once again. Do you want to let our listeners know how they can follow you, sir? Yeah, sure. So for my personal Twitter, is Tommy Nantimin, which I will probably post a lot of Messi and Sampdoria content. <laughs> but for my work, uh, you can just follow Nantimin in uh, every platform for daily content about Premier League, but international football as well. Brilliant stuff, brilliant stuff. And uh, we'll be back next week. Don't forget, guys, if you haven't already done it, you can enter our competition. Thanks to the guy guys over at the North Curve. They've donated a fantastic retro football pillow. Uh, I don't know if you guys have seen it on our Twitter page. It is our pinned tweet. It's lovely. It's brilliant, isn't it? They've got so many yeah. uh, of all different clubs. All you need to do is go onto our Twitter page, which is at Simply Serie A, retweet it, Follow us and follow the North Curve. That is all you need to do to be in with a shout of winning this fantastic prize. And I'm sure uh, we'll be having more discussions with the North Curve and we'll be getting some more fantastic prizes for you guys as well further down the line. So do enter. Uh, you've got to be in it to win it. And uh, we'll be back next week where we'll be looking ahead to a magnificent week of Serie A football. There is obviously the international break. So next week's show will be a little bit more of a preview show, but there are some big games to preview, aren't there, guys? So we'll be looking forward to that uh, don't forget to follow us on Twitter don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify wherever you listen from and uh, we'll be back next week <laughs>